0: Season two, episode seven of Stats Don't Matter. The Masters, golf, new season. Here to talk about it. Formula One, the second Grand Prix, did not disappoint. Uh, And Tim, I think we gotta talk about why this Jake Paul thing might be making more waves than it should and how that's not Mm -hmm. a good thing for boxing. In our cups this week, it's an IPA (laughs) (laughs) For We got one from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina and one from Branford, Connecticut. Find Stats Don't Matter wherever you get your podcasts. Follow our Twitter handle at Stats Podcast. Do the same thing on Instagram at Stats Don't Matter. And let's go, Tim. We didn't do a a podcast episode last week. Um, We didn't record one Mm. because I took a little vacation. Me and the wife went to Charleston, South Carolina which as the crow flies is only about an eight hour drive from where we live in Northern Virginia, which is a doable drive. Cause I drive the Maine. it's like nine to 10 hours with traffic, depending on how bad the state of New York and Connecticut are. So I'm thinking this is going to be easy. We're going to go down there. We're going to go on the beach. We're going to enjoy some good food. I'm going to play some golf, ride some bikes, take some photos, drink some good beer. A lot of that happened. Got a little mini tan, played some golf, Lost a lot of golf balls on a really, <laughs> really expensive course that is lined with houses off the fairways. Like, I get okay. this is what retired people want to do. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, one
0: what, what cool thing, there was a couple breweries. I was like, hey, I'd like to go to these things. One of them was Westbrook Brewing. I do know if you if ever had any of their stuff before. You usually only find like three Westbrook beers uh, on the shelf their Mm -hmm. um one claw which is a rye pale ale, which is fantastic their ipa and then they have a white thai belgian uh style ale now they also have a sour series that's pretty good um and they have a key lime pie goza that is like ravenous but you can't really get it a lot of places so whenever you see it you should kind of grab it and i just happen to you know be looking in the grocery stores and i'm like all right i don't really feel most of these craft beer options down here there's a lot of wicked weed on the shelf I didn't really want to go on vacation and drink Miller life, you know? So I I said, well, I I guess I'll try some of these things. And then I I went to a place and I found Westbrook and I just bought them out. I was like, all right, cool. Here we go. This is what I'm (laughs) going to drink. And then it got me thinking, oh, shit, this is actually, this is South Carolina. We should go to Westbrook. So we looked it up in Mount Pleasant or Mount P as the locals call it. Nice, big production facility. Um, It was like kind of over overcast, a little cloudy, (laughs) and there was, Good outdoor seating, everyone was socially distanced, and I went in there, and I was very pleased to find that they had a lot of stuff on tap that you could not get in cans, and I loved when that happens, because it, it's just like, it makes you want to go to the brewery, and so what, what I got here is Idaho 7 in it's a it's an IPA, some rotating hops, and just on the side of the can, I mean, I was going to buy it anyways, but this just cemented it for me. Shower tested and approved. Now, if you don't know, (laughs) there are many good craft beers. The first craft beer after a long day at work, first craft beer after a shower, the first craft beer on the whole uh, number one of the golf course, and the shower beer. I mean, they're they're ubiquitous, and craft shower beers have their own levels, and I am quite excited, quite excited to do this. It's been sitting in the fridge for a few days. I I didn't even crack one yet. It's been sitting in my fridge for like (laughs) almost three or four days. I waited just for you.
1: I've had a couple crazy stouts that they've put out, but I don't know yes. if I've had any of uh, the IPAs yet. So
0: I will I will tell you that I got one of their stouts called the Gates of Door, as in like the Gates okay. of Mordor. Yeah. Um, we're not going to get a chance to preview it here on the pod. I'll, I'll just say that, but uh, very excited uh, to, to have their beer. So cheers, man. I know seven is one of those hops. that's like, it's either you love it or you don't. Cashmere mm-hmm. is like kind of a little smoother. Those are the two main hops here. Let, let's see what let's see what they do. Uh, Fourteen sips. Everyone knows the rules. <laughs> Can't get us for copyright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's very dank. Um, it's not really a lot of tropical flavor that I would expect. Maybe a lot of times with the Idaho Seven. You, you kind of get that more grassy feel. It's not exactly like mosaic. That's one of my favorite hops. This is good. Um, but man, I, I have another one in the fridge and I was like, maybe I should have grabbed that one. They're both good. I, I've already had the other one though. So I, I would give this definitely, I give us a 3.9. This this is good. It's, it's very crushable for 7%. I could see how this would be a shower beer. It would be something you could definitely have at least one of in the shower. Um, it's 12 ounces. It
1: what would you compare it to though?
0: See a lot of the Idaho Seven beers that I've had are like super, almost like weed, like dank beers. You know, okay. this one has like a little more flavors of like mango and stuff like on the back end. So like that's where you kind of get like uh, sometimes that flavor profile too just sits on your tongue and like mm-hmm. you just breathe dank like mango.
1: Okay,
0: it's good. It's good. It's not as as hoppy as I as I expected it to be. But sometimes that's good you know i mean you you definitely got to play around with the flavor profiles and sometimes having the most hopped up beer is not a, a good measure of actual brewing talent so yeah the, the fact that this is good you know you got uh, i've never seen the idaho seven and cashmere hop together before so
1: i don't mind it all right so uh mine is a relatively new uh, brewery it's colorblind artisan ales uh i'm drinking Death perception the Double Dry Hop New England IPA. Uh, in fact, it's um, contract brewed by Thimble Island out of Branford, Connecticut. Um, Thimble is one of those that, you know, I don't find myself drinking all that often. I think they're just, you know, perfectly, I don't want to say perfectly mediocre, but they're definitely more, uh, sort of middle of the road for me. I know a lot of people around here swear by it. Um, and to be fair, I haven't really had their full menu. So uh, I'm going to save complete judgment. Um, but uh, this one, I've seen, it's got a pretty cool little can design uh, for those uh, who are colorblind. Uh, this is, uh, it looks like one of those colorblind tests. Um, but uh, I've heard a lot about the brewery as of late. I saw this. Had to grab it and give it a try. Um, The guy at the package store seemed to back up all of the hype, saying that it was uh, a very good beer also. So it tends to be pretty right. So we'll see what happens. As soon as I open it, it literally smells like a fruit salad. Like It smells very, very fruity. You also, mean like fruit
0: salad, like a whole bunch of oh, Blackhawk? There's the glass.
1: Shout out to Blackhawk for the, uh, the 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 glassware here. Um, when you say yeah, fruit no.
0: salad, do you mean the fruit salad that is like you know mixed with Jello, or you mean like the fruit salad is no, no, a whole bunch like of fruits? actual
1: actual fruit salad? It smells hey, like a little you, bit sweet. You a never know. Bit organic. That's mm-hmm. what, uh, that's What's that's wrong with processed like... fruits, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, we introduced my son to uh, pudding like jello pudding the other day like oh, chocolate there for you the go. First time. And he, he, he gets the, he, call, he calls them the yummy shakes where he gets it and he goes like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like sometimes he'll cough when it's really good. It's funny. Um, but he definitely got that man. This thing is
0: opaque hazy.
1: Yeah, yeah it looks great. All right, let's go shop. Yeah. So the flavor matches the smell almost perfectly. It tastes, and what's funny is, as I was pouring it, I was reading the label on the can, and it says, uh, it's loaded with citra and talus hops, with notes of tropical fruits, citrus rinds, pine resin, and pink grapefruit, and that pink grapefruit is literally spot on. That's exactly no, yeah. what this tastes like, um, which is good and bad, because I'm generally not a big grapefruit fan in general. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those I'm not a big bitter fruit guy See, I was just about to ask you that because
0: like I grew up eating like grapefruit but I would never eat grapefruit straight like we had like a like a slotted spoon that was serrated edges that you're supposed to use to cut it Uh and we would always pour a little sugar on top of it
1: Yeah, that's what I so hear I... and people keep telling me to try it. I've just never tried it I've never sat, had grapefruit and been like, oh this is so like cantaloupe is another one of those I'm not a huge cantaloupe guy either yeah. Man. Nah. No,
0: yeah no. This, um, speaking of fruits, this this brings up a good point. On Beer Twitter this weekend, there was uh th- there was something back and forth about how like everyone loves like certain IPAs that that have like fruit flavors in them, but no one could ever point out that fruit in a lineup if they ever saw it, right? So like most <laughs> like you know, IPAs like are grapefruity or they're they have citrus rind in them and, and you you probably know what a mango looks like, you probably know what a, a cantaloupe looks like. But someone was like what about stone fruit there's so many ipas that say they have characters of stone fruit and i, I kind of hopped in the thread and i was like I, I feel attacked right now and you will be hearing from my lawyers like <laughs> i love stone fruit flavors in a beer but i wouldn't be able to pick it out that's why i could never be a, a beer judge so
1: yeah and i mean all of them have it like you see a whiskey drink and they're like hmm mm, and they taste it like i got notes you of you. leather <laughs> and and like what are you just walking around licking leather like i don't understand like, <laughs> You this never, was like leather, no, okay. cigarette butts, and old school. <laughs> I,
0: I had some questions, but we're we're gonna go right past them. There's is not
1: this this podcast to do that for. Uh, all right, anyway, What's the rating? To um, I'm gonna give this one. So, what I was gonna say before we got off on our little tangent is, generally, I'm not a big grapefruit guy, but it works a little bit here because it has, even though it starts off with that like big grapefruit punch, it kind of settles off a little bit with like a sweeter sort of like candy fruit note. So it works. Uh, even if the first initial sip is not, um, not something I would eat on my own, the finish is really nice. So I'll, I'll give this one, uh, you know, I'll give this one a three nine as well. Um, it's, it's solid. I think it shows a lot of potential, um, of the, the beers that I saw people talking about this weekend, it was this and a, another variant I'm going to try and get my hands on. Um, and they did say of the two, the other one was the better of the two. But everyone loves, loves, loves this beer. Uh, and I i mean, I, I can see I can see why. If you are a grapefruit fan or you really like the, the IPAs that, you know, have that grapefruit forward taste to it, this is a must mustering because that's exactly what it tastes like the description they gave is literally spot on so 3-9 nice. for me part, partly my own fault because I'm not a big grapefruit guy but uh, I do love the finish on it um, and I feel like this is going to be one of those that's going to grow on me a little bit more like if you asked me what my rating is at the end of the podcast or even like the next time I have one it may be higher because it feels like with each sip it gets a little bit sweeter a little less bitter but 3-9 Three nine. Very
0: nice. You'll be happy to know that I gave a lot of local craft beers uh, three fives last week. Just yeah. Just putting putting all the good beer karma out there in the world. (laughs) So I so I gave it a legit three nine that time, sir. And there there shan't be any communications further about my rating system.
1: None. I like it. I do like it. All right. All right.
0: Well, we had a thrilling finish at Augusta uh, last week Um, Hideki Matsuyama becomes the first Asian winner of the this this American golf classic Uh, he's a Japanese golfer there were a number of junior PGA alumni that ended up making the final cut Uh, there was one kid well a kid maybe he's a kid to me uh, Zlatoris, who looks like the, the actual actor from Happy <laughs> Gilmore, who was his caddy. And there was a real fun back and forth between Zlatoris on Twitter and Adam Sandler. He was yeah. like, I'll caddy for you anytime, Mr. Sandler. Like, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's actually him. It would be cool if it was. But if not, there, <laughs> there was just a lot of fresh faces, right? There was so much about Bryson and what's he going to do when he gets there and he released this four-and-a-half-degree driver. And then to not make the final cut was – Chef's kiss. You know what I'm saying? It's just yep. like there, there's not much more. Like Phil struggled. DJ struggled. Everyone struggled. Spieth made quite a valiant run. But there's this This just felt like if there was going to be a match with a bunch of young guns, this was going to be it. And Hideki came out firing all cylinders. Second day, firing. And when he went to the third day, he had an 11-under score. And he ended up finishing the day at 10-under. There's so much pressure on a guy to, to keep that for that many holes of golf. And the only reason that he ended up at 10 under is because he barely missed the putt on 18. Like yeah. the, if, if there's a place to miss a stroke, it's there. You know what I mean? Like that's just the drama we needed. And I really feel like this was kind of a, a nice jump start for this season of golf. Um, of, of course, there's been the Valero open. There's been the RBC heritage classic that was this past week as well. So we're getting some some good um, things out there, but it, it it was weird last year. There weren't fans. We didn't get a whole lot of golf. We had the match with Tiger um, and Peyton and Brady and, you know, Manning. And now we have like. Augusta, it seems like we're off to the races now. And and I'm happy about it.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was interesting having the quick turnaround going from the Masters in November to the Masters again now in April. Um But yeah, I I have said before that one thing golf, I think, tends to suffer from is that it's a lot of the same names at the top of the leaderboard week in and week out. And I think if you are a casual fan, that might be okay. But if you're someone who watches a lot of golf, you can be like, hmm. And, you know, I, I sort of compare it a little bit to Formula One, where there's like two racers at the top of the leaderboard pretty much every time there's a race. It's the same kind of conversation at a lot of these big events. Dustin Johnson is usually floating around the top. Brooks Koepka is usually floating around the top. Justin Thomas is usually floating around the top. And then Tiger at his prime was at the top, and it was everybody else you know, chasing him. Um, so, yeah, it was a good little sort of um, mix-up for things. There, there are a lot of guys who showed a lot of potential. I'm sure at this point most people have, you know, been recapped to death, so we won't recap the entire Masters, but it is important to talk about Hideki and what he was able to do. Um, this is obviously the highest he's ever finished. He's never wanted a Japanese player, has never wanted ever in the history of the Masters. But his last, uh, his best finish prior to this was fifth, uh, and that was back in 2015. He is one of the best ball strikers. Uh, Seriously. On completely he played uh par fives 11 under for the tournament um
0: which is we just have to state like even if you're not like a diehard fan of golf that's incredibly hard to do you're gonna shank one off the seat it's just gonna happen and it's like every time he was out there his his swing like again i the only i compare it to is like bryson when bryson winds up for a switch it's I mean, like a swing. It's like watching Kevin Euclid's like hit a ball. You know what I mean? There's so much power behind it. And Hideki is so smooth. And the yeah. ball just goes straight as an arrow. Like I almost yeah. felt like I was watching like, you know, uh PGA two K. I was like, this is ridiculous. How's yeah. this if happening?
1: You, if you ever get a chance, uh, go and look up some of the highlight reels. Like uh PJ.com has a couple of them. Um, you can go on YouTube. You can find a ton of them and you could watch some of his shot highlights. Not only from the Masters, but you can find him uh, in his career. And it's amazing how well he can hit. He's got a kind of unique swing where it's not completely smooth on the backswing and the forward. He almost takes like a a brief pause. But man, the ball is almost always perfectly hit when he's on. Um, The third round, 65, was his lowest score in... I, I don't even know how many rounds. Ra- Thirty-eight rounds. He's played at the Masters. He beat his previous low by three strokes. So it felt very much like this tournament was his after the third round. It got a little dicey going towards the second half of the the final round, uh, where it pretty much became a, a two-stroke match play going into the uh, going into the the final leg of it. Um, but this is. This season, themselves, the season itself for Hideki hasn't even been something that set him up for what looked like he was going to make a run for it. He's only had two top ten finishes all season. He's missed a couple cuts. He's kind of had sort of a like a mediocre season so far. To, so to see him come in, play extremely well when everybody was struggling. I mean everybody was struggling and to come in and put a 65 on the third day in the midst of everybody struggling it's almost like the the weather delay they had really kind of helped him settle himself in cuz he came out of that weather delay and just played like his hair was on fire it was yeah it, it was uh it was it was a lot of fun to watch um, but on the season like some of the statistics he's 85th in driving accuracy he's 63rd in greens and regulation like He hasn't been like a standout at all this season, so that's good to watch. Also, just uh, worth noting, uh, your boy Bryson DeChambeau is 138th ranked uh, in driving accuracy. So, all that hoopla regarding ruining the game of golf and, and uh. whatnot because of the long distance. I said it before. I said it when we talked about it the last time. Yeah, you can hit the ball a mile, but it's not going to mean anything because the game is still reliant on accuracy, which is what we saw because the average drive for Bryson this season has been like 321 yards. Uh, The guy we're going to talk about here in a second, his average driving range is 298 yards. And one of the two of them is making a lot of commotion for the way he's played, not because of the drive, and that is a 1-1. Jordan Spieth, who Spieth. has not looked good since 2017, has come roaring back. Um, not Rory. Roaring. <laughs> yeah, definitely Rory. not Rory. roaring. I mean, and not roaring either. like yeah. Tiger. He <laughs> has just come out of nowhere and just suddenly started playing incredibly well. He's played in 15 events this season. He's made 13 cuts. He's got six top tens, including one win. He came in third at the Masters, and he he made some shots that were incredible. You know, he he's kind of been true to form and kind of spraying the ball a little bit when he gets uh when he gets a little out of sorts. But some of those saves and some of those recovery shots were incredible. There was one shot that they showed from uh, I think it was the third round where he was just completely off to the left where we had never seen a player hit before had to hit up and through a bunch of trees and ended up putting the ball you know within a couple feet it was easily the best shot uh of the entire weekend in terms of recovery obviously not the best shot uh of the tournament you had you had a lot of those um but he's uh 15 in birdies per round this season he's ranked 15th 24th in greens in regulation and 18th in saves from the sand uh they've talked to him a lot about sort of his his sort of resurgence or his his comeback and what's kind of scary and somewhat optimistic is that you know he talks a lot about the technicalities of his swing getting the plane right getting the face right making better contact and As well as he's been playing, he thinks he's only at about 50% of where he will be or should be once he's kind of got it all fine-tuned. So, I'm a big Jordan fan. I think it is more fun when he's in it because, and when he's doing well. Some of the shots he hits from off the green or from out of the sand or from in the woods are just spectacular. You can go back, I think in 2018, I think it was at the Masters, uh, he hit a flop shot in, in one of those tournaments that went like a mile in the air um, off of uh, a sprinkler head and ended up uh, landing within a few inches of the hole. Like it, He is a very, very special dude, and I think the game is just a lot better when he's in it. And as of now, he is in it pretty much every weekend. Um, I think his one downfall Masters weekend was going into the fourth round. Well, even the tail end of the third round started to spray the driver a little bit and you can recover and you can recover and you can recover but you have to be able to hit it accurately which is what he did in the first two rounds like in in the first two rounds he looked like he really had a chance and he went into the the tail end of the third round and he started falling you know five six strokes back You're like okay this is this is about something else cuz Hideki just there was nobody getting in his way when you put up, you know, a 10 under for the day when everybody else is scrambling around par or you have plenty of guys who just completely miss the cut. So, for me, yep. I think Jordan is on the right track. If he is, you know, according to him only about 50% of where he thinks he's going to end up, I really really look forward to seeing, you know, how he continues to improve because you know, prior to his, you know, sort of dramatic fall off, he was, there was a lot of discussion about him being kind of not necessarily the next Tiger Woods that would be, those would be really big shoes to fill but there was a lot of promise and a lot of hope that he may come out and challenge a lot of those Tiger numbers, especially when he won two majors pretty much right off the bat. So um, I'm pulling for him. I mean good for for Hideki. Uh, That was great to watch. Some of the after round photos of him like sitting in the airport completely by himself with a jacket like a normal person it's kind of humbling i'm Um, I'm
0: glad i'm glad that you said that i'm glad that you said that
1: yeah because it's uh it's it's you know it kind of shows that at the end of it he's a very regular guy usually there's like an entourage of asian media that's sort of with him and following him a lot because he does have a ton of fans back home but i think more importantly, not just for, you know, his Asian fans and his fans back home, but I think, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of people who are going to be watching that can see that you don't have to be one of the front runners to make a, a go of it. And uh, keep your head down, keep doing what, what you're good at, and eventually you're going to get some awards on it. So, yeah, shout out I, to him.
0: I I think my my final thought on this, I love seeing the photos of him in the airport, not wearing the green jacket, but it like on the seat next to him. It wasn't like crumpled up in a pile on the floor. And of course people on Twitter, like they do on social media, they're just going crazy. Oh, he's disrespecting the game. Like, first off, this dude is carrying, carrying the expectations of an entire nation to go and bring something home. And he didn't crack under pressure. Like the amount of of stress he must've been under at 11 under, you know what I mean? To keep, that up is is just is, is astounding. Like he just made sports history. Yep. He didn't have an entourage around him. He didn't want to bring a lot of attention to himself. He just kind of wanted to get back. There's this thing that's in golf that I think probably turns a lot of people off. It's it, it's not the elitism per se, but it's 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 more like the the bias that only British and Australian and French and American and Italian people with money can play and enjoy the game. Japanese people love the game. They absolutely love the game. They put so much into their golf courses. Um, I mean, I would say there are many more nationalities of, of Asian, uh, the Asian race play golf as well. They're yeah. all very, 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 very big stewards of the game. And what, what he did was make history. And uh, for him to revere the green jacket, but not do something like a brash 21-year-old would have done in America, like wear it to the bar. Or wear it, to, wear it through security and tell, you know, TSA, like, oh, you ain't searching me. Like, I just won the Masters. Like, that would be something we would do because we're so bombastic. And he was so revered and respectful of it. And like, yes, that's exactly what we needed. Uh, it, it played out the way it was supposed to. Spieth, you know, a couple more of those non-save type scenarios. And I, I think he would have really challenged there. And, and it's good to take that momentum into the season.
1: Yeah. Uh, one other thing on the on the coat thing, they, they asked him, like, hey, Tiger Woods, when he won his, said he slept in it. What are your thoughts? He's like, oh, I value it too much. I want to keep it clean, and I want to keep it, you know, safe. So anybody who complains about him folding it neatly and draping it over the back of a chair instead of packing it in his, you know, his stowaway or his, you know, checked baggage, it's – you're just – complaining to complain because there was there was nothing he did wrong there I think uh, I think it was great Uh, it is funny though that he was so sort of in the moment thanking you know his family back home and being grateful he really said two sentences and was ready to like walk off he's not a guy who talks a lot yeah and Nance (laughs) and Dustin Johnson kept asking the questions
0: in the in the post-match interview and like his translator was like one line (laughs) and then Nance would be like so how did the weather feel? And on 18, you took the shot and it kind of went a little left, but it came back. How did you save it? And he was like, I just hit the shot. And I knew I had to use the wind to my advantage. And that's how I made the shot. And then the was like, yeah, but go into detail. And you're just like, no,
1: it's <laughs> <Yeah>. not happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about when he, when he says the, uh, when he gives his thank you. Yeah. At the end, His interpreter had to step up and uh, remind him to, oh, by the way, also make sure you say thank you to like, the association Saration. and yeah. everybody else. So <laughs> we got back up. I would also like to thank. <laughs> uh, That's that great. Good stuff,
0: though. Good stuff. Fantastic. All right. We got to talk about Formula One. You, you know, I, I've been a big fan for it. I've been pounding the table. Formula One Drive to Survive. It's on Netflix. You got to go watch it. Um, there's been so much history obviously that Lewis Hamilton has made and this season doesn't seem it's going to be like anything less. And I absolutely love it. So the Amola Grand Prix uh, in Italy was this past weekend. And we've, we talked a lot about how this season, much like season prior is going to be just Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen one, two, that's pretty much the battle, right? Um, and Oh boy, did we get one that was good this weekend? There was a, there was rain. And <laughs> when, when you have rain in formula one, it it's crazy because the thing in formula one is you're always trying to strike a balance between power and grip. The more power you have, the, the less grip that you're going to have because you're going to degrade the tires and the more grip you have, you know, it, like you can keep the tires longer, but you can't go necessarily as fast. That that's, that's what it is in a nutshell, right? Their strategy into hitting the chicanes and the different sectors and trying to get the fastest qualifying time and you're know, getting positioning on the grid, all that's there. It comes down to balance, carrying the most speed, keeping your tires as long as possible. It's a very, very big game of cat and mouse, and there was usual dueling in this match. Uh, Max and Lewis did not disappoint. This is where things got wild. At one point, Lewis spun out. Almost, Almost hit the wall. Definitely went into the gravel. Had to reverse his way out of the gravel, okay, which put damage on his car. Had to pit. He fell all the way down from P2 to P8.
1: I'm guessing gets, position for us yes Lehman? yes okay. yes
0: position so there's there's you know t- 20 20 p spots on the grid right you got 10 teams two cars you know p1 is obviously you won the race p2 second okay. third fourth et cetera et cetera uh so he spun out he hits the pit they fix him up he goes back out the track begins to dry up and this is always the thing like there are some races where the conditions are fantastic because the air the air is dry and and the tarmac is, is great and it's, everything works well. Sometimes you get like a rainy race and you really have to use tougher tires to get through it. And you can't necessarily go as fast as you would in some of the races. The skies opened up. Hamilton's in P8. And at no point did I ever think like, oh, I'll, I guess Max is just going to win this race. Max charged to the, you know, the front and he, and he stayed there and he did what he needed to do. Even after a crash between Valtteri Bottas and George Russell... Uh, there was a rolling start Verstappen, got ahead again, uh, and and continued to hold on to it. And one thing that just astounded me was that Hamilton went from P eight all the way back to P two where he finished the race. Now Verstappen had you know 21 seconds on him by the time it was all said and done. But for a guy to almost be retired out of the race because he got into a spin out, which he could have crashed to the wall, and when his own teammate retired out of the race because he got into an accident. For that guy to methodically go back and secure P2 at lap 60 of 63 is fantastic. That tells us everything that we need to know about Lewis, that he's a fantastic driver, that there's absolutely no quit in him. And the audio that was between his pit crew and him at the time was like, let's go. Let's go get this. Like, we're not sitting down. We're not accepting this. We think we can get P2. And when he overtook the Ferraris and the McLarens, especially there towards the end, you just were kind of like, I'm witnessing something here. He's not going to win this race, but the fact that he's not going down without a fight really puts the pressure on Max to just continue to race as best as you can to win this. Um, and and you know, it's just beginning part of the season, so the way points are awarded, they would have been tied, but Hamilton had the fastest lap in trying to catch for Stefan, so he got an extra point, so he has the tiebreaker, so he's still number one in the world, which has to piss <laughs> Red Bull off. But th- this this is exactly what i think a lot of fans might not know about the drama of formula 1 that is that it's just really good and it's the fact that like there is strategy there now uh, i'm not saying a lower or a lesser driver but what i'm saying is if someone else who started p8 spun out they're probably going to p15 at that point you're pretty much at the back end of the race it's very difficult to catch up unless you have like a fantastic car which i mean a lot of formula 1 drivers do not um there there are things that you can go either way but to see Lewis consistently knock off peas every couple of laps and just get within striking distance, I think that bodes really well. I think we're actually going to see something this season between both Red Bull and Mercedes where we're actually going to get the duel we've been wanting for a long time, um, and, I, and I love that. I, I just think that all the arguments are, oh, well, Lewis is lucky because he has Valtteri to hold off everyone. Well, he did this time because Valtteri retired out of the race. You know, he got into an accident of his own. Like Hamilton had to methodically go and track down every single one of them. And when he passed Charles Leclerc to to get into P3, I was just kind of like, okay, this dude's totally not fucking around. And I should have known that because he went from P eight to P3 in a relatively short amount of time. It was just amazing to see the sun opened up and there was really no stopping him at that point. Like, I I, I guess it's weird. Like, you know, Superman, when he gets in the sun, he just feels all his power, right? Like it just felt very similar watching the same thing. Two, two last bits of notes on that. Most Formula One tracks are kind of, I mean, they're, they're central parts of wherever they are, but they're like, they're kind of secluded, right? Like sports stadiums are out there. You have the ones like Monaco, which is like in the city, which is pretty wild. Um, Amola is actually built into a town. <laughs> so there was a photo that roden and track, um, wrote an article about, it showed these two kids jumping on their trampoline 50 meters from the racetrack.
1: Which is insane. That like, is insane.
0: They're, they're not they're not paying for those tickets, and they're like seven years old, just jumping on the trampoline, <laughs> like you know, playing popcorn or trying to push the other one off the trampoline, and like there's cars going by at over 150 plus miles an hour, like right at their front doorstep. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of a little jealous about that. Like, what well, are like Airbnb one of those places? A
1: baseball over the fence by accident. You're like, oh to I'm, I'm gonna get that in about an hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The last bit of good news. <laughs> There are a set number of races that occur throughout the world every year. Dubai, Bahrain, um, Monaco, Italy, Spain, Australia, Britain. There's one in America, right? And then the good old US of A in Austin, Texas. And in 2022, Formula One is coming to Miami. They're going to build a course around the Hard Rock Cafe in Miami. And I am here for it. I'm already thinking about how I can get down there and watch one of these (laughs) things because – we stock car racing is a very big thing in, in America and Indy car racing in America is making a bit of a resurgence. Um, but some of these races like happen multiple times in other countries. I and mean, you have to get up on a Sunday morning and watch them and, you know, watch practice qualifying the the, the two previous days at like seven eight o'clock in the morning. Cause of when it takes place over there. So to know that we have a race with high power cars in a beach state, that has a lot of rain just after the drama we saw this week in italy i was like yeah yeah sign me up dude i'm here let's go
1: <laughs> i will I, I will make that adventure. i've already said on a couple occasions i uh i'm not opposed to formula one of any of the racing uh formats formula one is probably the one i would be more inclined to to watch i i grew up for a little while around uh, willow springs waste raceway out in california which had street racing style events as well, but it was bigger into motorcycles um, yeah. because it was a street road track, but it was sort of like undulating Hills. And it was sort of, uh, it was a really cool little spot. In fact, it it's, it's a spot that's used a lot in a lot of the um, driving programs you see on BBC and some in America, uh, just because of the layout of the track. Um, they do a lot of test drives there and, and, and whatnot. So I, would prefer that. Um, By contrast, I must have gone to more than a handful of those races. By contrast, when I moved to Maine in high school, I lived just down the street from um, Oxford Plains Speedway, which unbeknownst to me uh, is a staple in the sort of minor league or the lower ranked uh, racing divisions where almost all professional nascar drivers at some point have had a race at that raceway i don't know if it's still the case um but like ricky craven jeff gordon a lot of those guys have had races that were there it's a really small track um but i think i went to mm, i don't even know if i went to one race i'll say maybe i went to one race there i don't even I remember being there for something there happened to be a race going on but I don't think I actually went there for anything more than like the drag strip which they did mm. because every show year shine
0: drags, dude. Show Shine the and Drag dude Show Shine and
1: Drag every year that is uh if you're from Maine that is a pretty neat little event you go up they have um uh like show cars all over the infield of the actual racetrack itself but on the drag strip uh you can bring your own vehicle and they will put you up against a similar vehicle and you can drag race until your heart's content. It it's sounds like, it's like crazy. your very own
0: race wars, like out of Fast yeah. and Furious.
1: It's so great. It's insane because you see everything from, uh, which blows my mind every time I see it. People will drag race snowmobiles where they put flat treads on it. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen a snowmobile mm-hmm. go from a standstill to full speed, there is no shifting. There is no like changing of gears. It's a throttle controlled by your thumb, and you just squeeze it and go. So they put them up against, you know, some of the crazy, crazy bikes. They'll put them up against, like, the alcohol. There are quite a few alcohol burners that show up, some of the actual drag cars that show up. Um, But to see things like, you know, a stripped down Dodge Caravan, like a 1993 (laughs) Dodge Caravan, (laughs) because it has a. With the wood panels. yeah, because it has a supercharger in it. You stripped all the weight out of that thing. You throw in a couple mods, and that thing is keeping up with a lot of the sports cars that are out there. But uh, it's very rednecky. I can't, I, I, can't stress that enough. You know, even though there's a lot going on, it's still very much Oxford Hills made, um, oh, so which great. is, you know, take that with however you will. Um, shout out Oxford Hills, throwing yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I went to maybe one, I don't even think it was one complete race there. It was probably like a spectator race or something like that. Um, but I do, do thoroughly enjoy, uh, a a Formula One. Quick, quick backstory. Uh, that Oxford Plain Speedway was originally supposed to be the housing of Loudoun Raceway. But the town originally voted against it saying it would ruin the way of life in that small community. So then the, the bear family who owns it shipped it out to New Hampshire. And now it's one of their biggest revenue streams. So it was almost Man. almost in Oxford Hills. So instead you got a little quarter mile track instead.
0: Wow. And it's crazy. Cause you go up route 26 there. When you're going to the ski mountains, you got to go yeah. up Route 26
1: and the, and the casino now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a casino. Right. So, I mean, and I lived off of route 26 in Poland, Maine. So like, I mean, you know, like, Oh, Hey, how do we get to Oxford? Well, you hit 26, take a right and you just stay on that road. And about 25 minutes later, like you're going to see the casino or you'll see the track. Like that's just, that was just the the way of life growing up. It's it's cool going down the the mem lane for that. But I mean, I've been to a couple of shine, and drags. I don't think I actually went to like a stock car race, but like you would drive up there and you would know, even if you had the radio on, you could just hear when there was a race at night because like, People doing a 250 out there, and you can just hear it from like a mile or two away. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good times. It was.
1: It was never one of those for anybody who's listening to this and thinks, "Oh, I should go." Um, you should support support support, the, support local businesses. Yeah, go if you're in the area, but it's not going to be a NASCAR race. It's a quarter mile track, so it's more circular than a normal track. There isn't a point really where they can like completely let it go. So yeah. just know when you go. Don't go into it expecting to see uh, a track laid out like, you know, a normal NASCAR track. It's a smaller, smaller yeah, it's like, track. Odega. Yeah. You're, you're, you're basically film. slightly holding your wheel at an angle for the entire race. Um, and it gets exciting because it's small and there's a lot of, you know, collisions or there's a lot of bump and runs and whatnot. So it can be fun to watch, I'm sure. But it's not, you're not going to see like 140 mile an hour, 40 mile per hour straightaways or anything like that. It is more of a skill based race. Tim, do you say it was Just a quarter mile track? It. I think it's a quarter mile. Might even be mm. less than that. That's interesting. You know why? Why?
0: I live my life a quarter mile at a time, Tim. Ah, uh, Jesus Christ. For those 10 right. seconds or less, nothing else matters. Not the team, not the store and all their bullshit. Uh, for those 10 seconds or less, Tim, I'm free. <laughs> for for <diesel>. $5, <laughs> I will edit this part out.
1: <laughs> you let me know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right all right all right, all right. All right. We, wait. formula one yeah next next event is in two weeks so uh we actually got two races two grand prixs in in the month of may so you're gonna get a chance to catch that let's talk about this this last thing here tim before i finish this episode of Stats oh Summer my Podcast. god
1: and i don't even want to dedicate more than five minutes to this, so let's I, go
0: i know i know but we got to do this shit uh, all right We have, you and me have debated the merits of boxing versus UFC. What's the better sport? What's the better draw? You know, what, what should be, you know, given the lifeblood and what should um, just, you know, die and what should be, you know, evolving, right? Like the genus of species doesn't really kind of explain the difference between boxing and UFC. There is an art to boxing. It is, is a chess match. It is a ballet match. It is a brute strength match. Uh, It's all those things. Mm-hmm. And just, a, I feel like it was just like a couple years ago, we started talking about the Paul brothers, you know, famous YouTubers cause they vlog and they do shock content. And all of a sudden Jake Paul is like, I'm going to be a boxer. I mean, his brother Logan is actually a boxer, but like Jake's like, no, nah, I'm going to go and fight like, you know, other people, not boxers. Like uh, Nate to, Robinson. To
1: clarify, Logan uh, is not a boxer. They both decided to try and do the same bullshit and fight, oh, okay. like celebrity matches and whatnot because yeah, and, of the financial draw.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing I struggle with, right? Celebrity deathmatch was funny on MTV because it was fake, right? Wrestling is yeah. kind of kind of funny. There's there's good storylines. There's a heel. There's a victor, like all that stuff. What we're seeing is just Jake Paul attempting to get more clicks and like get that the pay-per-view buys are behind it and you get to be in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. But yep. come on, you're taking on Ben Askren, the guy that got submitted in seconds, by Jorge Masvidal with a knee to the face. A guy, when he showed up to the weigh-in, looked like me without a shirt. And Jake Paul is like, ripped? Like, okay, come on. Come on, man. Like, if there was anything that made me think I don't give a fuck less about boxing, it was this.
1: So here's here's a... uh, All right, so my my take on this is going to be a little different, right? So... One, I think Ashton was not the guy who should have been the representative of MMA. His nope. striking is not terrible. The, yeah.
0: oh, terrible.
1: It's not even at the top of, or not even, I would say it's like mediocre at best. There are plenty of YouTube videos that show how bad it is. They just quote unquote call it an elite striker. But... I think you're selling him a little short with the knockout from Masvidal because before that knockout, uh, he won 19 straight fights in a row. But his specialty is more grappling and wrestling. Can he stand up and, and fight? Yeah, he has 16 knockouts and a couple technical knockouts, but he won a ton of fights and just got caught with a knee. He did get submitted the the second fight, but his record is 19-2. and And the two losses were the last two fights that he was in. Right. So I'm not going to sell him short and say like he was at the end of his career or anything like that. Uh, I just don't think he took this uh, seriously, seriously at all. Yeah. And I don't think people were listening to him either because he said all week that if Jake was even a, a decent boxer, he was probably going to lose this. And like people took that in and let it go out the other ear. Now, everyone keeps saying, oh, this makes boxing look bad. This... Does it? Does this make boxing look bad, or does it prove that boxing is just a more difficult sport? In it makes that, it look bad. Uh, but how, though? You took a 19-2 and two MMA fighter, and you put him what? up a YouTube star, and he got knocked out. You,
0: again, you put him up against a YouTube star who's faced a retired basketball player, a guy who's not known for his striking, and then what was his first fight? That it was a draw? He didn't even win? It
1: was not, this it was dude's, another YouTube guy
0: okay so a okay. YouTuber fights so, a YouTuber so, like this smash okay, so, the like button so to subscribe you, to my videos like what
1: right right so does that mean if you remove the ability to grapple and choke somebody out and you go straight up striking you put a guy in there who has like a crash course or like a five to six month training program with guys like Evander Holyfield and to to preface this I am not yeah. a Jake Paul fan. I think if you put him up against a boxer an actual who boxer, he's going like get smashed. In like the the you know beginning of his career or the tail end of his career, he would have an infinitely better chance. But I think it unfortunately goes to show. Let's remove all the previous fights. Let's just take one guy, his training camp up against an MMA fighter, and he made him look terrible, terrible. Now when you put a guy in a ring with a guy who has really no real fighting experience, and before the fight even starts, before the match even takes place, uh, the people in your sport are distancing themselves from you, saying that he shouldn't be the representative of that sport. It's a combat sport, right? Should translate over, right? Clearly, that's not the case. He got his ass kicked by someone who had an eight-month, like, crash course who was meeting with whoever his money could buy to come in like there are training videos of him with Evander Holyfield there are videos of him in his training regiment and his training program and he took it very very seriously I think it kind of goes to show that if you took an MMA fighter like let's if you're in the same weight class and, and whatnot obviously there are going to be guys who are a better striker could Conor McGregor stand in there and in Give him a better run for it? Yeah, of course he did. But what happened the last time we put an MMA fighter who wanted to box in with another boxer? He that, got that's his what ass this, kicked and he got knocked out also. So that's what this feels like. Two, that's what we this have feels two like. Fights. Hold on. We have two fights. One was a YouTube star who just started boxing. The other one is the guy at the tail end of his career who's also undefeated. Both times, the MMA fighters who got in the ring ended up getting knocked out. Both events, MMA fighters lost, and they lost badly. Like, McGregor MMA was not fighters. making it to the... Luke Rockhold top.
0: was not in there. Daniel Carmier was not in there. Stipe was not in there. McGregor okay. was not in there. So, like...
1: McGregor, McGregor fought against Floyd Mayweather, did he not? Against Floyd! The, arguably the
0: greatest boxer of all time. So, like, there's difference between you stepping up to the GOAT who's versus you like, stepping up
1: to someone who is 245 pounds reti- overweight. Who's on the verge of retirement, mind you. It was, it, it was like Floyd waiting to fight Pacquiao. because you are, you are talking was, about
0: cantaloupes and grapefruits right now, my friend. You are. This is not even no. Remotely what I'm talking close.
1: about is everyone who's like, oh, this looks bad for for boxing. The event, it so does, the spectacle though. of it. The event and the spectacle of it looks bad for boxing because it looks like that's what they need to cater to to get fans, and that's not accurate. Like we have Lomachenko, we have Crawford. There are plenty of guys who are drawing. Yeah, we have guys who are drawing payouts we have guys who are drawing crowds we have guys who are drawing attention this spectacle was nothing more than a a concert that had a couple fights that are in it like the cards themselves shouldn't this card should not be a representative of boxing and that's where people get this wrong it's Here's the problem. Boxing, though, it's celebrity fighting. It just yes. happens to be boxing because nobody wants to see that or wrestle. Nobody I, wants to see that. The, the thing I about agree. boxing is like you're a small kid from, from
0: a gritty area or you're scrappy or you like punching people in the face and, and you and you make your way up through, through the marks. Essentially, what Jake Paul is doing is no different than what Floyd Mayweather does by picking his opponents. However, Floyd actually put in the groundwork. Seriously, Paul's camp just didn't want to do that. They put in eight months crash course, whatever. I think it's anathema to the sport of boxing. Like the, the problem is this got 1.5 million pay-per-view buys, yep. which makes it like up there with all pay-per-view, it's like been, boxing. It's been Askren's biggest payout. Which also makes me think, I don't think he took it seriously because he knew it was going to get paid either way. But I mean, I'll take my Tim Spears half off for a second. I think of it like this. Boxing is, um, is a sport. Boxing yep. is a very well-respected sport. Boxing has taken some licks pun intended, um, and they've sort of fallen a, a bit out of favor. We have the Olympics that are coming up. Would the U.S. send Jake Paul as part of their delegation because he knocked out a person? No, they'd say you have to go in of and fight actual boxers. That's what I want to see here. I don't care that Jake Paul could beat up a, a fellow YouTuber nor Nate Robinson or Ben Askren. I want, I want him to fight an actual boxer, yeah, but a top-ranked nobody- boxer, and if he can survive that, we can have a conversation about whether he's – Bad for the sport, whether you should be taken seriously. This whole I'm gonna pick who I want based off of how many views I can get or how much like money I can get off social media, like I'm not here for that. But, That's yeah, not the point but of
1: boxing. I'm gonna I'm gonna call bullshit right now God. on everybody who's like Because that fight was bullshit. I agree with that. But what I'm saying is I'm I'm gonna call bullshit right now on everybody who is like, Oh, why is he gonna fight Ben How many of you guys were like, Oh, he's gonna get his ass kicked by Ben Askren? And then he got knocked out and suddenly you're like oh why would he even fight that guy that guy's the worst i've seen it and i know you... people are talking about it and it's they've they've turned such an about face where before they're like ashton's clearly gonna win no he was Man, never I, even I hope for he, me, he was never uh, everyone hoped they would and that's why it sold so many they, someone just wanted to see somebody knock out this youtube douchebag everybody tuned into it that's why it sold so many but there are plenty, plenty of people, and I, I'll stop short of saying you're one of them. But you, who saw this and said Ben's gonna knock like, him out? <laughs> Ben's gonna <laughs> Ben's gonna win this one easy. And now that Ben lost, everyone's like, "Why are you gonna put him in against a guy like Ben?" Blah. It's because it just happened to be a guy from another combat sport. It is not the same. I, I'm telling you, boxers hit harder than MMA fighters ever will. We have two well, I'm sure instances they do, but now, now Logan
0: Paul has to be taken into consideration because he's submitted three people in the first
1: round. First of all, it's not called submitting. It's called knocking them out. Please, please. Get it corrected for talking about I'm, submitting I'm is an <laughs> MMA term where they get them to tap out or they knock them out while on the ground. Uh, it is not called submitting when you – it's right. It's right, guys. Can I ask, can I ask a serious question?
0: Yeah. Do you think that Asker would have won if it was bare knuckle?
1: Uh no, because clearly it's obvious that Logan Paul can hit harder than he can. Everyone <laughs> thinks that the gloves are what make boxing as hard no, as they I, no are. I, I don't think I don't yeah. think
0: it's the it's the 14 ounce gloves that, that did him in. I think that the, the, the chin was like, "Yo, what's up?" Like, I'm open and available, and Logan just connected. Like the way, like if you watch the knockout, like
1: directly to the temple is what. Yes, that was. like
0: Logan, Logan definitely set it up. Logan, you know, look, not Logan, Jake definitely set it up, and he yeah. landed it. sent
1: to dude to sleep. Now, good, yeah, good here's, for here's, him. Here's but, the thing that I want to. Here's the thing I want to say real quick. Oh boy, I don't think. A one-round knockout is a... Obviously, it's not a good picture of what this guy could do if a fight actually went eight rounds. That is a very different animal than a one-round, I'm just going to throw punches. Like, he looked awful against Nate. He looked a little bit better here. Again putting him up against like a shorts, prime shorts were the worst
0: thing. He had like cornhole no, bags were like to the front of his
1: shorts. His pregame <laughs> workout was worse than that. If you've seen those that those are just weird where I don't know. Ugh. Um, I it, I also don't think it would necessarily be fair to put him in with a boxer at his prime. I would love to see it because it would just be No, We need a you, decimation of it. You, but you if can't we, be, we've already out you can't be calling, out. Can't be calling out Dana
0: White, you can't be calling out Conor McGregor. You can't be talking all shit to, to Tyrone Woodley. You can't be doing any of that. If you want to write checks that your ass can't cash, you need to go ahead and you need to check it right to the bank and I need to make sure that you can check you can cash those checks. Like give him I, a boxer Give him a lower boxer. Give him a Great. boxer that's, that what I, that's what I'm yeah.
1: saying. That's what I'm saying. You can't put him in with like a Terrence Crawford or someone at their prime because but he's not going to accept be, that
0: because that's all he I, cares about is getting clouded at this point.
1: I, I understand that. What I'm saying is what you need is like a relatively no name boxer who has some skill to come in and literally pummel him, not like Tim. a guy who's retired to come back Tim. and clearly is overweight. Nate Tim, Robinson, stop. a former retired basketball player. Stop but agreeing you do like, with me. No. If you do a no, if you do a pure like top of their game boxer, it's it's not the same. It's just it, it that wouldn't do any justice for watching him get his ass kicked. We would just be watching him get his ass kicked deservedly. What I wanna see is somebody else who is like maybe someone who fights on a top rank card who yeah. opens the preliminaries yep. at the start of the night when nobody's watching at like seven, eight o'clock at night, no one's got yep. the 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 early prelims on like one mm-hmm. of those guys because if you get your ass kicked by one of those guys you don't deserve to be I mean someone yeah. always loses those fights but if you come out and I, get knocked out in the first few rounds by one of those guys I now mean, it's been made clear if you yeah. got in the ring with like a I hear you like a Lomachenko would destroy him but they're also maybe not, in the same maybe weight not. Class. i mean a couple minutes ago you were saying like oh this is bad for boxing like you know people
0: can't submit them they can't strike they can't do this can't do that like i,
1: I don't think this looks poorly on boxing because i think it does because at too- the end of the match at the end of the match tim he was like facetiming he was
0: like yo the future of boxing is here the fuck out of oh, here the future Jesus. of boxing is
1: here no, what he's doing oh. is he's taking the Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather route and just getting everybody worked up to buy things and pay out is what he's doing. Does he think he's the future of boxing? 100% no. But MMA versus boxing, 0-2 right now. Hey, that, hey. And That's literally, there's no other way to look at it. Two oh, MMA whoa. fighters have fought two, one real boxer, one not real boxer. And in both times, they both looked awful. awful so again, this is this counts. is why
0: Celebrity Deathmatch is undefeated. should be brought back. MTV okay. hit us up on that. Um, and wait, who was this fight even about? This fight? Yeah,
1: it was Jake Paul making money. That's all. Who it the
0: is. fuck is that guy?
1: We're moving <laughs> oh, on. Jesus We're Christ. moving
0: on. Let's let's close this episode up. It's not some matter. We thank you all for your support. We've devoted way too much time to this. Uh, hope you all enjoyed the podcast. Like it, share it, subscribe it. Find these beers that we that we spoke about today wherever you can support your local craft breweries, and we will talk to you soon. Peace.